Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Man, I'm so excited. I, I get pretty, 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 pretty stoked on Easter Sunday. There's an excitement in the air, and there's this anticipation about what God can and wants to do. And I want to dive into the message today because we really do have some exciting things in store out of the ordinary for you. But before I do that, I want to pray. I like to kind of tee up the message with prayer, and not just so that I feel good, but just for all of us to open our hearts and our ears and our minds to the potential. Now, I'm not sure what your belief is. I'm not sure what your past is like. I don't even know your story yet, but I believe at the core of who I am that God wants to do something unique in each of our lives. But I also believe that there's something about an expectancy in us for what God can and wants to do that really makes the moment amazing. So would you do me a favor and mix your faith with mine as we pray? And maybe you're not like, I don't know if I have enough faith. And I got you covered. And let's just pray and say, God, we're open to the possibilities of what you want to do in our lives today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, we just thank you again that you're here doing something amazing. And we didn't come here just to leave the same, but we came here, God, to experience the fullness of who you are and God, to leave here changed, changed for the better, with a new hope, a new expectation. That's what Easter is about. It's about a fresh start, a new beginning. So we just open our hearts and our minds to that right here and right now. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. That just means I agree and that you think I'm good looking, so I appreciate the compliment. Hey, listen, I don't know if you realize this, but the world is actually split into two groups of people. I don't, you probably didn't know this. I didn't know until I entered into the club. There are those of you that have your appendix and those of you that have had it removed. How many of you have had your appendix removed? Would you raise your, oh, yes. You see, we're a part of a club and we know. In the first service, nobody had their appendix removed, so we kicked them all out of the church. No, I, I'm kidding. I, I wish I could tell you the story of when I lost my appendix because that is a doozy, I can tell you for sure. But I, I'd like to just take a moment and, and kind of bring you in behind the scenes for what happened just after I had my appendix removed. As do they often, doctors prescribe me some Vicodin for pain management. Now, I was raised a pastor's kid, and contrary to popular belief, I've never done drugs in my life, okay? <laughs> so here I am, just having one of my organs removed, right? And I get home to manage some pain, and about 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, I take my very first Vicodin. <laughs> some of y'all know where this is going. About an hour later, I hobble off the couch, scoot over to my wife, grab her hand, drag her to the bedroom, get into the bed and pull the covers up to my face. And I said, babe, help me. <laughs> she said, what's wrong? I said, there are men in the bathroom trying to get me. She said, there are no men in the bathroom. I said, I know. Pray for me. <laughs> This is a true story. So she prays for me and I fall asleep. And about 3.30 in the morning, I wake up, only I wasn't in my bed. I was outside on my back porch, leaning around the house, looking to see why my sprinkler system was on because those men had turned it on trying to trick me. And at about this time, it dawns on me, I'm butt naked. 
I go back inside. Obviously, I had stirred my wife out of her sleep, and she goes, Carrie, and I go like this, like a 1920s box. I'm, yeah, see? I go, get back in your room. There's men in here. She said, there's no men. I said, get back in your room. I realized these guys were sneaky. They weren't in the backyard. They were in the garage. They had turned my sprinkler system on just to trick me. So I kind of sneak over, still not clothed, and I crack open the door, and I peer out, and about here it dawns on me, something is wrong. Drugs are bad, okay? I go back to my room. I go to sleep, and needless to say, I've been sober from Vicodin now for 13 years. Can I get an amen? And so... I've never again taken it since. And I tell you that story for two reasons. One, because you just needed a, a, a laugh. And that's, that's what we love about stories, right? But in the moment, it was horrifying. And we, we love stories that, that can make us laugh. And we love stories that have the good triumphing over evil. And we really love stories where the underdog has a triumphant, a triumphant victory, right? Like we saw that take place last week when Tiger Woods pulled off a victorious win in the Masters, and it was such a trip to see him wearing the green jacket again and balding all at the same time. And he, he you know, you, you saw that he, he deserves the win. He's been through every type of adversity. There's something about the underdog that we love. And, and that's why I love the story of Jesus. Because when he showed up on the scene he didn't show up as men would have thought. The savior of humanity, he showed up in a different way. And I thought it being Easter, I should read a Christmas scripture today. And we read as Jesus showed up on the scene in Luke chapter 2, the Bible says that she gave birth being married to her firstborn son, which is Jesus, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Now that sounds romantic, but these were just rags, my friends. And she placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. He came humbly into this world. He was born in a barn and placed in a feeding trough in a city which was equivalent to an interstate truck stop. He actually grew up in a city called Nazareth, which literally was about the size of 60 acres with under 500 people. And he was a carpenter, which in those days, it was not a trade which was valued by society. When he showed up, he came for humanity to bring hope and to pay the price for humanity's sin. And yet he was dismissed at every turn. In fact, there was a time when he was preaching in his village and some of the men came to scoff him and make fun of him. And in Mark chapter 6, we read this. The men said, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? It sounds like they're praising, but they're mocking him. Is this not the carpenter? Is this not the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not these his sisters with us? And the Bible says they took offense at him. He wasn't born of nobility. He wasn't born into royalty. He wasn't born wealthy. He wasn't a politician's son. At every turn, Jesus was discredited by everyone around him. And the crazy thing is so many of you in this room are discrediting your own story right now. Some of you might even be thinking the thoughts that my story isn't worth telling. That, that I, you couldn't be the underdog because you don't really feel you deserve the win. 
In fact, you, you believe everyone deserves a happily ever after except for you. I haven't really accomplished much with my life. I don't really measure up to the people who are around me, and I tend to fail at just about everything that I put my hand to and ultimately let people down. In fact, some of you walked in this room with that same feeling towards God, thinking that I'm terrified to try this religion thing out because I'm pretty sure I'll fail God too. Some of you might even have the notion that, I, yeah, I believe that God loves me, but I'm pretty sure he's disappointed with me. And this couldn't be the further, further from the truth. We hear God's heart for us and towards us in Romans 8, 31. It says, if God has determined to stand with us, then tell me who could ever stand against us. Look at this. For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold anything else that he has to give. Believe me, your story is worth telling. Perhaps some of you in this room are thinking that my story is horrifying. I don't want anyone ever to know who I was or what I've done. Or maybe for some of you, I don't want anyone ever to know what happened to me. And so some of you have entire chapters of your life which you've never shared or told your spouse or your parents or your loved ones. And so you've allowed these chapters to actually define who you are. And now shame follows around like a storm cloud everywhere you go. And some of you literally have gone to such great lengths to hide your past that you've lost sight of who you really are. You don't laugh like you used to laugh. You don't enjoy people like you used to. And if we were honest, maybe sitting down over coffee you probably would just say, I'm just exhausted. There's no hope for my story, but that's not what God thinks about you or your story. Romans chapter five says, we can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice, but God put his love on the line for us. By offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. In the midst of your darkest moment, God couldn't have loved you any more. And you need to know that there is hope for your story. While still others in here might say, I'm living the story written by others. You see, your story, my friends, is being told. But, but some of you are allowing other people to tell it. And here's the problem. When, when we allow other people to tell our story, they create the narrative. And then what happens is the labels that people have given us begin to define us. Labels like worthless, clumsy, a cheater, a liar, too opinionated, not enough, or just too much. You know, before my wife and I were the senior pastors at this church, we were youth pastors, which meant that we were uh, working with teenagers for about 12 to 15 years. And I'll never forget one night I got a phone call from some people in our church in Arizona, and 
They found their teenage son with drugs. And, and so now, because he got caught, he was threatening suicide. So I rushed over to their house as quickly as I could. And I got mom and dad and the young man into the living room. And I just talked to him. What's going on, bro? He said, I'm depressed. I feel completely insignificant. It's why I'm doing these drugs to numb out. I feel hopeless. He's 15 years old. And I asked the parents, hey, can you give me some backstory here? So the dad kind of cleared his throat and he began to speak about how their marriage was in a rough patch. And actually it started that way when she got pregnant. He looked at me and pointed to his son and he said he was a mistake in the first place. Labels. And when we allow other people to write our story, we give them the keys to our future. And then the story you're living is telling you who to be and how to live. But you don't have to live the story that someone else is writing. Your story matters, but not just to you, but to the people that are in your world. The challenge is our story is merely a secret until it is told. And then, my friends, it has power. You see, when my story is told, it has the power to change other people's lives. But I have a choice whether I'll mobilize it or paralyze it. That's God's heart for you and for me. And it's God's heart for your story. I've got some great friends who attend the church here, and they just said they would be brave and share a little bit of their story. So I want you to watch this quick clip. I'm the guy who God blessed so much in life, and yet I found a way to keep him at a distance until. My name is Jim Dugan, and this is my story. After college, I started my police career and went to the academy where I graduated number one in my class. My next six years were spent in the narcotic unit where my investigations resulted in some of the largest cocaine seizures in the history of the county. At age 32, I was promoted to captain of detectives and appointed to the director of a New Jersey State Police Academy, the youngest director in the history of the state. But I was more focused on my successes in life and the affirmation I got from those successes than a relationship with Christ. That was about to change. In 1996, while being cross-examined in court, I confessed to leaving out a very, very important piece of information in my police report from an investigation I was doing eight years before. It ultimately cost me my career, and I was in complete hopelessness. My name is Ruben, and this is my story. When I was 18 years old, I started hanging around with the wrong crowd of people, getting involved in gangs, drugs, committing crime. There was one point in my life where I got set up by the opposite gang, went into a garage and had guns pulled on me. Luckily for me, the garage opened up and I ran out. I was running for my life. I got away. This lifestyle led me to jail a couple of times. Then 2009 came along. Tragedy struck my life so hard that I didn't know how to deal with it. My dad passed away, which uh, really, really hurt me. And I didn't know how to take it. I didn't know how to act. I was really, really angry. I was angry at God. I totally turned my back on God. I dove headfirst back into drugs and alcohol and gangbanging. By this time, I had kids. 
and they were being hurt by all this. So my wife packed up everything she could fit in a car and moved down to Orange County. When she moved down to Orange County, I lost all shred of hope. I had nothing. I was raised in the church. I knew all about God, all of the Sunday school stories. I could quote Bible verses that I had memorized, but I didn't know him personally. My name is Cassandra, and this is my story. At the age of 12, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. This diagnosis changed everything. It made me angry. It changed the way that I saw the world, the way that I viewed God. And having this experience made me leave the church and turn my back on God. From that moment on, everything was a complete downward spiral. I operated from a place of loneliness and fear. A lie that had been spoken over me was that I wasn't good enough and that I was never going to amount to anything. And I allowed that lie to be what dictated my decisions. I chose what felt good and finding love in any place that I could find it over truth and what God said. These relationships were never fulfilling in the way that I was hoping for them to be. They never filled the void that I was looking to be filled. You know, I'd imagine there's a component of each of these stories that all of us can relate to. You can probably relate to the pain and the challenges that maybe feelings of complete hopelessness. Maybe some of you have been through an incarceration, or the loss of a loved one, or perhaps you know what it's like to experience a failing marriage or to be angry with God or the church. I think all of us can identify with feelings of emptiness and that dreadful thought of I'm just not good enough. And these are the parts of our story which embarrass us or enrage us or humiliate us and these are the parts of our story the patches the rough patches and the pits that that we want to get rid of and too many of us have allowed these portions of our story to actually define us but I think it's good news for people like you and me to know that Jesus experienced some pretty rough patches as well you see all he did when he showed up on the scene was preach grace and hope and love and yet people turned their back on him. He was on trial for his life, yet completely innocent. And when he needed them the most, his closest friend stabbed him in the back and turned on him. And then ultimately, a crowd assembled and began to demand his crucifixion. They beat him and they whipped him and humiliatingly forced him to walk through the streets to crawl up a hill called the skull. And then they crucified him. He died. And he even said that, it is finished. I mean, talk about the underdog who deserved the win. An innocent man put to death for the sins of humanity. But his story, like yours, isn't finished yet. They pulled him off of the cross and they placed him in a tomb. And the Bible says that three days later, some of his followers went to the tomb to tend to his deceased corpse. And that makes sense if you think about it, that people would look at Jesus' story through the lens of their own. They anticipated defeat. They assumed that death would win, that this was as good as it could possibly get. But they didn't know the end of the story. The Bible says they found a man who was the angel of the Lord. And he said, who are you looking for? Jesus isn't here. 
He's risen. Just as he said. Why? Because death would have been the end of the story. But Jesus' resurrection is the rebirth of living hope for you and for me. That is why we celebrate Easter. Jesus' resurrection defeated my secret shame and the grip which sin had on my life. Jesus' resurrection shows that my story, no matter how dark, how horrible, how seemingly worthless, he redeemed my story and gives it power and significance which no one can take away. No label can redefine me that's what Easter is about and the best part is that my story matters because it's still being written and Jesus has written me in to his story I just wonder what's waiting to emerge in your story today My police career had ended. My life was destroyed, and I went into a severe, severe depression. In fact, so bad that one day, I decided that life wasn't worth living. I was gonna go for a walk, walk away from my house, probably the last walk I would ever take. And as I was walking away, my wife charged through the front door and said, Jim, I love you. We are going to get through this together. And I knew when she said, we are going to get through this, it was me, her, my family, and Jesus. I finally hit rock bottom, sitting in a jail cell, and I cried out to God. I surrendered everything that I had in me, the pain, the grief, the anger, and I allowed him to be the author of a new story that he would write for me. I was supposed to be serving a sentence of five to seven years. God's grace and love, I did a year, and I got out, restored my marriage, bring back my kids. Now I'm happy again, now I'm happy again. I fulfilled it with not drugs, not alcohol, with the Lord, with the Lord's love and grace. After ending an eight-year relationship, I actually remember calling my mom and saying that I just needed a Bible, that I just had to believe that there was something bigger than me that could take care of all of the chaos that was my life. So I started researching churches and I found the Movement Church. I showed up for my first Sunday and I was completely afraid. I remember sitting in the back row crying and having this experience with God where he leaned in and said, do you remember what this feels like? And I would love to sit here and tell you that everything got easy and that this decision made my life perfect. But the truth is that it became hard. I remember in the beginning months after recommitting my life, there was so much about my story that I wanted to change. So many pages I wanted to rip out because it made my story look cleaner. Instead, God has completely changed the narrative and now I have this story that I've been able to use to reach people I never thought I'd reach. I'm living a life I always dreamed of that I never thought was possible. And the only one who could have done that was God. And that was not the end of my story. God breathed on those dark pages and brought me back to life. 
Since then, I've had an amazing 20-year career in the private sector. We have a beautiful home. We found an amazing church where we are surrounded by godly people. Jesus took my broken life and restored it to something I could have never imagined. If I could tell you one thing, there is no accomplishments, nothing that you can do in life that is better than a relationship with Christ. People need to know that God's always there to help you. He's always there to pull you out. Don't think you've done something so bad where you can't get it done, because if anybody did anything so bad, it was me. I did it all. God's not finished writing your story. If He can pull me out of that, He can pull any of you guys out of what you're going through. It's funny how the pages that I wanted to rip out of my book are all of the moments where God was pursuing me. So I don't know where you're at with your story. Maybe you're like me and you want to rip out the pages that say that you're not enough. If that's you, I want to encourage you to tell you that God can change your story. And maybe you were like me a few years ago walking into a church for the very first time. I want to tell you, welcome home. Because this is where you find your worth. God is who defines you and not the world around you. You may be seated. I love the song and I love the story. I love the story of redemption. And, and the thing about these stories that we just heard is they're merely stories if Jesus simply died on the cross. If he had just died, that would have been the end. But when he came out of the grave, he began writing your story into his. And now it's a story of redemption. It's a story of resurrected hope, a story which has yet to end, which says no matter your shame, no matter your past, no matter what you've walked through, you are loved. That is the story of Easter. But here's the kicker. God never forces himself on us. Contrary to popular belief, he chose you. That's why he sent Jesus. But you have to choose him. Look at what the writer of Psalms says in Psalm chapter 18. It says, God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. You see, God is still rewriting the text of your life and he wants to so desperately but you have to allow him the worthiness that you've been searching for the peace that you desperately need begins by opening up your heart to him the significance that you long for and the hope that you're desperate for begins when you and i open our heart to him and you don't have to keep living to please everyone else. You don't have to live up to the expectation of anyone else and you can take the label that everyone has given you off. All we have to do is simply open our heart to Him. So if you're here today and you've already walked through these doors, you've made this decision, then Easter is a great reminder for you, just like the testimony of the stories that we watch. A great reminder of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. If you're like me, you know, man, you, you have no right to be here except for God's grace and goodness. And if you've been running from God, today's a reminder to stop running and come back to Him. If you're here and you haven't opened your heart to Jesus, I've got good news for you. 
That's what today is about. You just think you got an invitation from a friend. You just think you're here for some free food and a photo afterwards, but no, God tricked you. He wants to begin rewriting the story of your life. Today's your day. In fact, can we just take a moment right now and make this a holy moment? There are some of you in this room who need to begin the journey with Jesus, and it's why you're here. And look at me right here in the eyes for a minute. Some of you in this room, you may have made a decision like this, but you've been running from God, and today is your day to come running back. We're going to make this moment holy. I'm not going to embarrass a single person in this room, but right where you're seated, in the smallness, uh, stillness of your own heart, maybe in a small, quiet whisper, I want to give you some words to speak to match the moment of what you're experiencing here. So if that's you and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, or today's the day to make it again for the first time in a long time, we're going to pray a prayer. Would you do me a favor? Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, nobody leaving, nobody moving. If you're here and you've never made this decision or today is the time to make it again for the first time in a long time, let me just give you some simple words to pray. Just say, dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me and you've given me purpose. I'm not perfect. Would you forgive me? I want you to rewrite the story of my life. And now just make this statement your own. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, how many of you would just be willing to, by showing of hands, say, yeah, I, I want God to write the pages of the story of my life. Would you raise your hand? Awesome, let's pray. God, I just thank you that you're here in this place, that you're doing something big, that you're up to something bigger than we could possibly imagine, that this Easter is bigger and better than any Easter we've ever experienced because people are starting a relationship with you. People are coming back to you for the first time in a long time. And God, this year represents the year we're opening our hearts and our lives so that you can rewrite the story and the pages of our lives. So we thank you that you're here doing something amazing and we give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.